Good morning. There's a few people here this morning. <laughs> All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, today is a true, um, what the Bible would call a holy day. Um, I mean, no holiday comes from the word holy day. And so there are seven specific um, days that the Lord asked that the Jewish people recognize. And uh, one of those days is today. We celebrate what's called Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday. And so the Jews celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And um, the Feast of Pentecost is totally different than the event that the church celebrates as the day of Pentecost. And so I'm going to touch on both of those because God intended them to be on the same day he fulfilled the Feast of Pentecost on the day of Pentecost. And so the Jews still celebrate their Feast of Pentecost, uh, but we celebrate the fulfillment of that day on the day of Pentecost. And uh, so if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 35. title of my message is Harvest Season. Harvest Season. It says in John 4, 35, Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Luke 10.2 And Jesus was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then one more, Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house they were sitting, where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that the wind of your Holy Spirit would blow, Lord God, in these hearts, Lord. Father, you have prepared this day for a purpose, Lord. And I pray today that you would quicken us by your Spirit and we would recognize the times and the purposes uh, that you've set before us, Lord. And I ask your anointing upon this message, Lord, let it be your words, in your name we pray, and everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. As we begin to look at Pentecost, we recounted the day in the book of Exodus where um, Moses, in fact the Jews, will recognize the day uh, or the Feast of Pentecost as the period of time that Moses actually received the law of Moses, the Torah, on Mount Sinai. And so he basically made his agreement with the nation of Israel on the day of Pentecost. And so they celebrate that at the Feast of Pentecost. And so the spring feasts um, are a very interesting study in the Bible because how many know that not only not only is the day of Pentecost... 
Not only is it the Jewish calendar of religious events, of observances that God asked them to do, but how many know that each one of those events are also a prophetic calendar? Prophetic calendar. So as you begin to look at the four spring feasts and the three fall feasts, you begin to see that God laid out a pattern, um, a prophetic plan for the ages, and he's prophesying basically the history of the world through those seven feasts. And so we began with the first feast, and that is Passover. And so obviously to the Jews, the Passover means um, that God is going to fulfill a prophetic utterance um, where he told these people, the Israelites, that he was going to, to deliver them out of bondage. And so the Passover is the oldest celebrated religious observance in the world. And it celebrates that God, through many miraculous signs, including the plagues and the the, the Red Sea being parted and and taking care of these the children of Israel in the wilderness, that God miraculously delivered them. So God said that it will always be something that they celebrate as Passover. And then as they were celebrating Passover, right after Passover, um, they celebrated the unleavened bread. And so Passover directly fulfills a prophecy of Jesus dying on the cross. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the, um, the blood that allowed the wrath of God to pass over each and every one of us. Now, the burial of Jesus Christ is represented in the unleavened bread. And in his burial, basically, um, we celebrate that the unleavened bread, who is Jesus Christ, who had no sin in him, no leaven in him, was buried. And then right after that, we celebrate what's called the first fruits. And the celebration of the first fruits, um, prophetically, is Jesus Christ being the first fruit of the resurrection. And with Jesus Christ, were the first of those who were resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ. It was a very small harvest, but it was the first of the first fruits. And so what you have agriculturally, and I know this is boring, but you have to understand it this way, is you have the beginning of what's called their grain harvest, and then you have the end of their grain harvest. Okay, and I'm going somewhere with this. You say, man, why are we talking about farming? Well, because I live in the middle of nowhere in farmland. Okay, no, but the Bible is agricultural. In order to understand the Bible, you have to understand the culture of that day, which was completely agricultural. And so basically... The barley harvest is the earliest harvest. So when they celebrated the first fruits, the Jews always brought in the first of their harvest. Because God made them a nation, and what God wanted them to do was, when I finally give you your land that I promised to you, I want you to go in and I want you to celebrate the fruit of the land that I brought you into. And so when they came in, the first of the fruits that came off the land was the barley harvest. And so he said, celebrate this. And what they didn't realize was, maybe some did, maybe some didn't, but they didn't realize that was representative of Christ's resurrection and the first fruit of those who were resurrected with Christ. And then it started a season of harvest. In fact, uh, Pentecost, 
God asked them, he said, I want you to count seven Sabbaths, and the Sunday after that seventh Sabbath, that's 49 days for the Sabbath, and then one day is the day of Pentecost. It means 50. And uh, Shavuot is what they call it, and that word means weeks. So it is the Feast of Weeks. And you say, well, man, where are you going with this? Well, what I'm getting at is that when we celebrate Pentecost, um, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas on what it is. They say, well, what's going on there? It's the uh, We're Pentecostal people, so it's about Pentecostal people. Or it's about just the Holy Spirit, or it's just about the church being inaugurated. And you see all kinds of different ideas, but sometimes I'm afraid we miss the point of what God's trying to show us there. In fact, the Bible says that Pentecost, that's when they brought in their wheat harvest. And this was a much bigger harvest. In fact, the first fruits harvest was a small harvest, the one they celebrated at the resurrection of Christ. Did you notice that Jesus didn't have a whole lot of people with him at that time? In fact, when you go into Jerusalem, they're waiting for the day of Pentecost to fully come. There's only 120 of them. All right? The Holy Spirit falls on that room and the Holy Spirit um, begins to manifest himself where they realize on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is in this place and the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other tongues and Jesus said, don't leave there until you're equipped with power from on high. Until you're equipped by the Holy Spirit to do what I'm calling you to do. And that's what this message is about. The harvest. In fact, what did I say the title of my message was? Let me get this right. Harvest season. So Jesus is saying, the first fruits, which is my death and resurrection and my followers, they're going to this upper room. Jesus had been with them for 40 days, all right? And there was 10 more days till the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, they were in one room assembled, 120. And he said, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth and you're going to harvest the earth. You're going to harvest the entire world. But before you do that, you have to go to Jerusalem and you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. You have to be endued with power from on high. How many would like to be endued with power from on high to do the work of the harvest that we have in this world? And Eddie was 100% right. There's so many distractions in the world right now, we're forgetting about the harvest. We're forgetting about what God's called us to do, what our goal, what our purpose, what the reason is for the day of Pentecost, what the reason for this church is, what the reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is, because God wants us to harvest our world. And so Pentecost is very much about harvest season. In fact, the Bible lays out this prophetic calendar here. And the prophetic calendar ends with the spring feasts and picks up again with the fall feasts. In fact, the spring feasts, which represent the Passover, the death of Christ, it represents the unleavened, the bearing of Christ. It represents the first fruits, which is um, the, the resurrection of Christ and the first fruits with him. And then Pentecost is the last of the spring feasts. 
And it represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to pull in the harvest. And then get this. Then there's about a four-month period. That's what Jesus is referring to in the Scripture. He said, he said, you say, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white right now for harvest. And so there's a four-month period in here. And you say, well, what's the four-month period from Pentecost to trumpets? There's trumpets, there's the Day of Atonement, there's trumpets, atonement, and ingathering of the tabernacles, which represents the eternal kingdom. Trumpets represents the gathering of the final harvest. And so we're in between right now, time-wise, prophetically-wise, we're right in the middle of what's called Pentecost and trumpets. And so if we don't recognize the time that we're in, we won't be occupying our time with the right activities. Because right now is the time of the harvest. Right now is the time that God is gathering the harvest. Right now is the time before the Feast of Trumpets, and the trumpet is going to blow. And when the trumpet blows, if you look at their agricultural period of time, when the trumpet blows, there would be an Arab and a Jew in a field working, Right? And when the Feast of Trumpets came and the trumpet blew, you had to drop all your harvesting work and go to the temple. The Arab wouldn't go because he didn't believe it. The Jew would go when he heard the trumpet. And so God is telling us, right now we're in a harvest season And if you're doing anything in your Christian walk, if a church is doing anything besides harvesting, we're wasting our time and we're not focused on what God's called us to do. Pentecost is all about harvest season. You say, well, man, I thought it was something else. It's all about harvest season. So I just want to look at some um, rock hard principles stable, established principles of farming. You say, well, why do that? Because it's about harvest season. And I want you to think this morning about some of the things um, that every farmer knows about harvest season, and we should know. Number one, and this sounds really simple. How many have ever heard the term, you reap what you sow? You reap what you sow. Now, how many when you hear you reap what you sow? Now, let's break it down for those that aren't familiar with the term. The term means reap, which means what? This is what I'm going to gather. This is what I'm going to have at the end. It's actually some kind of exciting. I mean, if you plant tomato plants, what do you reap? Tomatoes, man. Middle of the summer, slice that big juicy tomato. I like reaping. Right, But sometimes when we think about this, it's always negative, right? Usually when you hear you reap what you sow, it's your parent saying, you're a fool. (laughs) Why did you do that? You reap what you sow, right? But if you really know how to grow things, you actually like the principle. You reap what you sow, and it's very satisfying when you reap your harvest because you've worked so hard on that garden. This is the payoff, right? And so you can only reap it if you sow it, which means plant. 
Okay? I'm just making it easy for city slickers, right? Making sure you know how we get tomatoes in the marketplace, right? Okay. But if you sow the seed, you're generally having a vision for what you want to reap later. Like, what do I want to eat? What do I want in my refrigerator? You know, what am I looking forward to? And that's why you work so hard in the garden, because they just don't plant themselves, right? You have to really work hard and have a vision for it. So God wants us to apply this harvest principle to our walk with the Lord. Because Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. We just need people to work. It's white right now. You know, we just need to reap. And so the principle of sowing and reaping, look at Galatians 6, 7 to 8. I'll read it here. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For one sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now sometimes, like I said, we always think negative. But in Galatians chapter 6, Paul's trying to tell them how to be blessed. He's trying to tell them to have a, how to have a blessed life and how to receive good things. And so if you want a picture, an illustration that I've seen that's a really good one is imagine a man had two garden beds, both tilled up perfectly, ready to plant, right? The one, let's say it's fleshly things. And and fleshly things just simply means things that uh, I want to do for me and only me, myself. Things that I like to do, things I enjoy doing, things that I do that may or may not be contrary to God. It's just something I want to do for me, okay? And I want you to pretend that every day we're planting in that seed bed, that, that, that garden bed that's been tilled up, right? And there are a lot of good things in there, a lot of hobbies, a lot of things we enjoy, a lot of things that God's not happy with, but we still keep planting them, you know, like um, maybe like temper. How many know that temper can make you feel good sometimes? But when it grows and you reap, it's not a good thing to reap. Um, there's lots of different things, um, lies can be planted in a garden bed. And at the time, they may seem advantageous. They may seem like they help me. Um, but the fruit of that's not good, is it? The fruit ends up being a, you know, a negative crop to, to reap, right? And so there's all kinds of actions and all kinds of attitudes that we plant in that garden bed. And the Bible's saying that everything you sow in there, you're going to get the goods from it. And so that's negative if it's that, if it's a negative bed. But let's imagine the other one is the things of the Spirit that Paul's talking about. And he's saying, you know what? Whatever you plant in there, you're going to reap the benefits of it. And so God's asking us to plant good things in there. He's asking us to reap. He wants us to reap. He wants us to be supernaturally blessed. And so let's say that every day you focus on your words and you want to plant love in there. Loving words, love to your family, love to your church, love to the neighbors around you. Guess what's going to happen when you plant that? You're going to reap it. You're going to reap good things out of a good garden that's been planted by the Spirit. 
And you say, well, man, can I do that without the Spirit? No, because all of our goodness comes from God. I can plant peace in there. I can plant joy in there. I can plant all these things in there, and I'm going to reap what I sow because I am a, it's harvest season. The second thing that goes right along with that one is, the second harvest law that every farmer knows is, and this is a real simple one, but you maybe never thought about it. Whatever you reap is much bigger than what you plant. You ever seen an acorn? Uh, uh, just a small oak acorn. How many know that that is a seed? Now compare 10 acorns in a bucket and then next to it put 10 mature oak trees. Do you see the size difference? If uh, How many have ever seen like a uh, watermelon seed or a pumpkin seed? Some of these seeds are tiny, but I've seen pumpkins this big around. I've seen pumpkins bigger than me with this shirt on that kind of looks like a pumpkin. That's a big pumpkin. <laughs> Some of you were thinking, and I just had to say it. <laughs> But you always reap much more than you plant. And this is because somehow the miracle of the seed, the potential of the seed, is that God does the miracle. God takes the seed and he makes it much more than what was planted. And that's the miracle. That's how we survive on earth. How many know that? The miracle of the seed growing. I mean, out of that seed pops out this giant plant and this giant fruit. Isn't that amazing? And But here's the thing. If I plant good things, it's going to be exponentially bigger than anything I could have possibly done on my own. But if I plant bad things in that other garden of the flesh, it's also going to be bigger than what I expected. You know, if I plant just a little bit of division... Next thing you know, whole cities are burning down. I mean, know that to be true. Little bits of negative seed, and that's why you see families and relationships, I mean, no torn apart. Hearts that are so torn apart, they're hard to heal. That's why you see addictions. That's why you see all kinds of different things, is because that seed always has the potential to be much bigger than what was ever planted. It's, it's the law of the harvest that we can't get past, right? So we want to plant the things of the Lord. You say, well, man, what kind of things are like that? Well, church, everything that we do for the glory of God, this church is a great example of we plant a little seed. I walk away, I water it. I pull the weeds, I come back, and I look at this church, and I think to myself, how? How did you take that seed and make it grow like this? And church, there's nothing that we can grow for God that isn't going to amaze us. If we put our time into the harvest with the God, Lord of the harvest and working for the harvest and putting our time in the Lord, how many know that's God's going to take all of those gifts that we give him our time, our energy, our effort, 
our desire to get up in the morning and live for God. How many know God's going to take that life and he's going to make it like a mountain? I mean, a glorious thing to behold. Uh, how many have ever seen a noble, mature oak tree? I used to have a um, little saying, I think it was actually like, and I, and I hate fortune cookies, but somehow I found, I don't know if I found it or got it in one or what, but it said, um, the mighty oak tree was once just a, um, the, the little nut was uh, one, or the mighty oak tree was once just a little nut fighting for space. And you know what? God will take your faith and he'll make you that mighty, noble oak tree. And all you were at one time was just a crazy little nut. Right? How many know that's true? And God will make you into something great. God will take that gift and make it bigger than you ever were in your original state. And I know that to be true. I was once little. <laughs> the third law. And this is one that sometimes we miss. If you want a really good harvest, you have to work hard. Said, man, I wish it was like the Garden of Eden where everything just grew and God watered it from the ground. And, and I'm telling you, that's how it was, but that's not how it is now. Um, in order to do the work of God's harvest, we have to be willing to work. I want you to picture your vision of a really good farmer. And it's not a lazy person. It's a person that's out there in the hot sun, out there working hard, out there trying to, if you've ever, if you've ever planted a big garden. And man, you're out there and man, you're, you're getting some of that crab grass and some of those really invasive weeds. How many have ever had to dig out invasive weeds? And, uh, I'm just telling you, it's hard work. And God is putting us, um, in a position where we're going to win the world. And He wants us to harvest souls. And why would it be different in the spirit if it's that way in the flesh? God expects us to be supernaturally anointed to harvest souls, but we're going to be asked to work. We're going to be asked to apply our energy to what God wants us to do to win the lost. Pentecost is also about hard work. How many know that? It's different than physical work. It's pressing into the Lord. Sometimes it's in here doing physical work. Sometimes it's in here, I mean, some of us just live in this building because we believe in the harvest. We believe in what God's going to do. He's going to take that work and he's going to produce uh, a harvest of souls. And so I can't give enough to God because I want to produce um, a harvest of souls that have been saved from hell. How many know that's true? We've got to think like the farmer. Harvest law number four, crops are not accidental, they are planned. Weeds are accidental. How many have ever planted weeds? Weeds are easy to grow. Weeds are really easy to grow. In fact, they're really easy to continue to produce, and I mean, they, boy, they're easy. How many have ever planted a real crop? You better be ready to fight. You better be ready to fight like crazy, plan like crazy, water like crazy. 
Um, but they're not accidental. You know, if we're going to have a harvest in this church, it's not going to be accidental. It's going to be because we planned, we worked, we put our time in because we could see the harvest of souls. It's harvest season, church. It's not accidental. You don't just flip a switch and you say, well, Chad, what's the microwave solution to this? Because, see, we live in a microwave world. We live in a microwave culture. We say, man, there's got to be an easier way to do this. And God's saying, no, you just need to apply yourself to this harvest. It's not an accident if you're bearing fruit. It's because you intentionally planted those seeds. You intentionally cultivated those seeds. It's not an accident. Hallelujah. Number five. Your success will be dependent on how many trained workers you have. But, Pastor, we just wanted to bring everybody in to listen to you. We just want everybody to come in and listen to you preach, and that's how we're going to win souls. And, you know, right now, the reason they say that we don't have, we have a beef shortage We have a chicken shortage. We have a shortage of all kinds of different foods. And the reason why is uh, because a lot of the processing plants were shut down. Because we don't have the workers to put that out. If a farmer sits down, he's going to be limited in the amount of crops he can plant based on how much labor he thinks he can afford. So you can only do so much work with one person But if you have trained people that know what they're doing, you just can't bring anybody in. How many know that? you got to have guys that know how to drive a grain truck. you have guys that know how to drive a combine. You need guys that know how to do farming. And if they're not trained labor, okay, you're not going to be able to produce a harvest. And so church, apply that to the harvest that we need. We need to commit ourselves to training people to do the work of the ministry. Jesus lamented, we have so much that needs to be harvested and we don't have laborers. Pray to the God of the harvest that more laborers will come. And church, how do you get laborers who are trained? You train them. Eddie told me a real good analogy and I told him I was going to, I had to use that in a sermon and it only took me one week. But Margie has some great uh, illustrations. She's probably listening right now, so I want to make sure I get this right. I'm attributing this to her. But she was telling the prayer group that um, um, when you raise sheep, which she does, and uh, the shepherd is raising those sheep, one thing you have to remember is the shepherd doesn't do the reproducing of the sheep. The shepherd can make the conditions right for the sheep to reproduce. The shepherd can feed the sheep. The shepherd can give the sheep shelter. The shepherd can do all these things to make the conditions right for the sheep, but the sheep do the reproduction. They are the ones that reproduce more sheep. And one of the things that we've done in churches is, We're trying to get the shepherds to reproduce. 
And every great move of God was because all I can do is make the conditions right. All I can do is train people. All I can do is equip people for the work of the ministry. But ultimately, what God wants to do is raise up the sheep to do a mighty work for God in a harvest. And so unless we are able to raise up people to do the work of the ministry, unless I raise up ministers, how will we ever harvest the world that God has called us to harvest? We need to be, we need to be in the business of raising up people for the work of the ministry. Number six, and I think number six directly relates to the day of Pentecost. You must be properly equipped to harvest. Now, I don't know. There's nothing more exciting for these farmers, I don't think, than to go to trade shows. They are so excited. How many have ever known a farmer excited about a trade show? I mean, they rent out these giant buildings and some of these um, overhead doors that they open up. I don't know how they fit some of those machines in there. I mean, there are machines that nearly the wheels are nearly the size of this platform. And they're giant machines. And, and now the machines are, you know, everything's GPS. They can sit behind it, not even have to steer it. Uh, it cuts every corner exactly to the right degree. And everything is just uh, GPS functionable. And they're giant machines. And, and, and so these farmers, um, they really put most of their money in their equipment and maintaining their equipment and taking care of their equipment because they know the better their equipment is, the better yield they're going to have on their, on their harvest. And so the equipment is very important. In fact, I had a guy that used to bell my hay, and he was kind of a small-time individual that would do it. And he had a small tractor and a small uh, cutter. Everything was kind of on a small scale. And then another guy was at my house actually this morning while I was studying. I mean, he does it everywhere, and he's got a giant tractor, giant cutter. And he um, is actually, I mean, he just wipes that, you know, those acres off like they're nothing. You say, well, man, what's this have to do with the church? Um, around 1900, a lot of uh, ministers who were from various denominations, and they were very evangelistic. And they said to themselves, they were the best planners, they had the best boards, they had the best um, planning of every group that you've ever seen. And they looked at their results, and they said, we're just not reaching people. They said, why are we reaching so few people around the world with the message of the gospel? Because we plan, we have money, we have all these things we're putting into evangelizing the world, and we're just having very little success. And these ministers began to pray about it and read the Bible and just say, God, what is it? What's missing? Why can't we reach the world? And they realized that the one event, the one event that God gave them to reach the world was the day of Pentecost. And he said, because the power of the Holy Spirit in operation is how the early church reached the world. And at the beginning of this harvest, I mean, no, Pentecost is the beginning of the great harvest. After that day, there was not only a few disciples, there were now 3,000. And then later, God added it to 5,000. And it was the beginning of the harvest, not the end. 
God was saying that this is the age of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit is going to endue you with power. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means that you're now going to have what's called the gifts of the Spirit. And the Bible says without the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to reach the world with the impact like I want you to. And this group of men decided that they needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They needed to have a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to reach the world. And can I tell you, that group began to seek the power of the Holy Spirit, and they reached millions of people. They went all around the world and reached millions of people because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost is all about having a greater harvest. And you say, well, man, why do I need to be full of the Holy Spirit? Number one... God commands it for us to be able to even live. I mean, know that. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to teach us all things, the Bible says. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to glorify God. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to produce fruit in us of the Holy Spirit. But in order for us to reach the world, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So a good farmer, how many understand A farmer is not going to be successful if he has poor equipment. And we're not going to be successful in reaching the world if we're not full of the Holy Spirit. Number seven, the harvest is alive, but will soon be dead. How many have ever had so many things planted that you couldn't harvest it? And you've had to watch because maybe you got... I planted big gardens and got busy with work and then come back and like, oh man, look at all that beautiful tomatoes, zucchini. Uh, how many have ever had like uh, green beans just going out of control and you're like not able to pick them every day? And, and oh man, look at all that beautiful produce is just dead on the vine. I could have eaten that. I could have canned it. I could have done all things. Well, now imagine those are souls. Imagine their souls. Imagine it's your son or your daughter. Or imagine it's your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa. And you say, well, man, why do I need the power of the Holy Spirit? Because they're alive right now, but very soon the harvest will be dead. We have a harvest by nature has a timeline. How many know that? When it's harvest season, it's harvest season. And what happens when the harvest is over is irrevocable. There are those who are dying on their way to hell. They're alive as we speak, but they're quickly dying. And so we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. That prayer room, can I tell you something? We need to be crying out to God. We need to be in that prayer room all the time. We need to be seeking God. In fact, I'm going to go over that in a minute. Just one second. The harvest is alive, but it will soon die. Number eight, our harvest field is the whole world, right? That means the things that we see on TV, say, well, I hate those people. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like that. I mean, no, that's our harvest field. What you're seeing on TV is our harvest field. And it doesn't matter. Um, I, I don't honestly, I don't want to get involved in the whole thing because I think the media stirs up everything. But they're our harvest field. Um, And the thing about a farmer is 
you very rarely see a farmer in the next county, do you? He's usually farming all the acres that are near his house. How many know that? Your harvest field is the world, but usually your main harvest field is your home. How many know that? There are people in your home that are dying and they need somebody who cares about the harvest in your own home. It starts at home. Hallelujah. Every You say, well, how does it start at home? Everything that you plant will either grow into corruption or it will grow into eternity. And so everything you do at your home, every action, every thought, affects your harvest field. Amen? So let's get into the mind of the harvester. Number one, and I've just got three points I'm going to close with real quickly. If I got into the mind of a farmer, the first thing I think I would find is the harvest is always on my mind. How many know that? You say, well, he probably just goes out there in the spring when the rain and the weather's right, and he probably just goes out there certain days of the year. No, it's year-round. Year-round, they're planting their plantings. They're planting their fertilizer. They're planting, they're working on machines in the winter. There's literally not a day that they're not thinking about the harvest. Everything's about the harvest. Everything is geared toward the harvest. Everything's working toward the harvest. And you say, well, Chad, I just want a church where I can socially hang out. Just want a social club. How many of us think that way? Don't raise your hand. I'll make a spectacle out of you. (laughs) We can't be that. We want to be a place where we socially belong, yes. But we have to have the mind like this harvester has. Year-round, what he's thinking about is how can we reach more people? How can we reach this neighborhood? These kids... I see them in this yard. Me and Eddie were talking yesterday about it. They're all playing around this tractor trailer out here. And, and church, can I tell you something? I'm working toward reaching every kid in that neighborhood. And you say, well, what have you been doing? I've been working nonstop for the last several years to get this building ready because we're going to pull every kid in that neighborhood in. We're going to do that because my mind is always on the harvest. My mind is, what do I need to do to bring them in? And if I don't do it, I know they won't come in. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for the harvest. I'm going to try to win as many as I can. And as many of us that have a mind of a harvester in this church, we're going to harvest. Jesus says it's ripe. And I want to be a church full of people that are after that. Eager for that. It's the number one thing in your life. You say, well, man, Chad, I've got a lot of important things in my life. I've got a career. I've got my job. I've got, you know, lots of things. It should be the number one thing. He saved us so we could harvest. He poured his spirit out so we could reach the world. So the mind of the harvester is always in mind, the harvest. Uh, Number two. The mind of the harvester, the fruitfulness is the Lord's work and it's done by faith. How many know that a farmer is doing everything by faith? He believes that if he puts those thousands of seeds in the ground of sweet corn, 
are, are, are seed corn, not sweet corn. You're different. How many know that? If you're putting seed corn in the ground, you believe by faith that that's going to grow a harvest. And here's the thing. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. How many know that there are pitfalls to farming? That's why they have to pay so much money in crop insurance. Because you could do perfect on that seed corn, but all of a sudden flooding can wipe out your entire crop. How many know that? Storms can wipe out your crop. Famine can wipe out your crop. There's all kinds that can happen. In fact, you can have the perfect season, and it looks like everything's going to go perfect, and then all of a sudden one little thing can wipe it all out. And you got the discouragement and the disillusionment. And um, how many know ministry is the same way? I may be planting certain things in this church, and I'm like, God, I just know this is what you want to do, this is what you want to do, this is what you want to do. And then all of a sudden I come in one day, and my whole crop can be wiped out. I intended to have a harvest, but now I'm disappointed. How many have ever had that? Man, I'm doing things for God, and now I'm doing things for God. The enemy's after me. Well, yeah, of course he is. Obviously, the enemy's after you when you do something for God. Is that right? But be like the farmer. He does it by faith. He believes he's going to have a reward. That's why he works so hard. If it gets wiped out, guess what he does? He goes home and cries and says, I'll never be a farmer again. That's exactly what he does, right? Even though my family's been on this ground for generations, I've got nowhere else to go. All I have is this land. He says, I'm going to plant again because I have faith. It gets wiped out. Guess what he does? I'm going to plant again because I have faith. I'm going to plant again because I have faith. See, we plant, something negative happens, we get a hangnail. And I'm sorry for anybody who has a hangnail. And we're like, well, it wasn't meant to be. Wiped out my crop. I shall not replant. (laughs) Do you see how the farmer is? He's persistent. He's patient. And he does it all by faith. Because he believes God is going to give him. It's all based on God. It's all based on nature and how God, you know, uh, takes care of his crop and how God sends the rain and how God, you know, it's all faith. That's what we need to do. Last one. Everybody say, yay! All right, good. <laughs> he always thinks about the joy of the harvest. And one of the, the most joyful times in these Jewish festivals is the harvest. And man, they are so happy when they're taking those grain trucks. They're so happy when they're taking that product to the market. Uh, Sean, where you at? Sean's so excited. He's getting that table all sanded down. I can see the way it looks, man. The fruit of his labor. He's making a table for our conference room. He's going to stain it. He's made it from scratch, a table for the conference room. And you know how proud it is? Now, nobody sees how long he's been sanding on that table, do they? Been sanding on that table. He's been gluing. He's been putting things together. And then he's going to be staining it all. He's going to be putting polyurethane on it. He's going to put pedestals on it. Nobody sees all the hours. And a lot of people don't know how difficult it is like farming. I mean, you're spending time in piles of manure. How many know that? You spend lots of times out in the sun. You're spending all kinds of time filthy. You've seen them at the bank and at the restaurants and 
Or maybe you've been in a garden and you're filthy and you're like, oh man, I, the women like, I can't go to town. Look at my hair. Look at all the dirt. But here's the thing. When you finish that landscaping project, when you take that grain to the grain um, facility, when you got that table sitting in the middle of that room, can I tell you something? There's joy in the harvest. And when you look around this place, you don't remember all the hours you spent in this building working. You don't remember all the millions. I probably spent thousands of hours studying. You say, well, man, you're trying to be really intelligent. You're a real go-getter. Almost all my time studying is to help people understand the Bible. All that time studying, I don't remember that. I don't remember all the times in the building. I don't remember all the money that I've given to people. And you don't either. All we remember is that we did it for the Lord. He multiplied it. And we're in joy because we see one person come to the Lord. What would it be like if we seen a hundred in here? The joy of the harvest. A farmer lives every day based on the joy that he took that seed and he brought the highest potential amount of fruit out of that seed on his land. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and I just want to encourage you as we worship. If you need prayer, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, and you say, man, you know what? I've sown seeds for myself my whole life, and that's gotten me nowhere. I want to commit myself to the Lord. If that's you, you've never given your heart to the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, if God doesn't reach you in this place, this may be your last chance. How many know that? Every time we're in this place, it could be the last chance for me to reach a soul. And you say, well, man, I'm young. I'm going to live forever. That may not be the case. You're young. You may die young. How many know that? Hallelujah. I want to make sure everybody in this place is right with the Lord. If you've never given your heart to the Lord and you feel like, man, Chad, I just need to get right. I don't know where I'm at with the Lord. I feel like I'm backslidden. I feel like I've gone away from the Lord. I want to pray with you today. Um, And then the other thing is I want you to really find a place and just say, God, make me a part of this harvest. How many of you want to be a part of the family business? The Bible says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that is a term for a fellow business owner. You say, well, I'll do what you tell me to do. No, I want you to be an entrepreneur. I want you to be a part of this harvesting business. I want... I want people running in this house, pouring into this house, and me having to hold them back. That's what we've had. We've had 20, 25 people that come in here doing stuff. And I I walk in and I'm like, when did that happen? Like so-and-so came in here and did that. This morning, Wally was talking to me about building courtyards outside so people can sit and pray and fellowship. And Rhonda was showing me that. Church, we are part of a family business. A family harvesting business. Yeah, you're you're spiritual farmers. Hallelujah. So I want you to just begin to get in the presence of the Lord and just begin to cry out for His Holy Spirit. Church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. We need people that are hungry for the Holy Spirit. You say, well, man, I can do it on my own. I can reach people without the power of the Holy Spirit. No, you can't. You don't have the equipment to do it. You don't have the equipment to harvest the world. 
So let's just begin to pour in the presence of the Lord here. Hallelujah. laborers, Lord God, full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, shatter the work of the enemy, Lord God. 
do a mighty work in this place, Lord God. Mighty things through your people, Lord. Bless them, Lord, on this day of Pentecost, Lord. For the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. To do mighty things. Things that nobody believed, Lord God, would happen. Things that nobody believed the Lord would or could do, but the Lord is going to do it. Do it today, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said.